Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Joy of Financial Planning podcast. The topics of this podcast are a complement to the book, Joy of Financial Planning, available in stores including Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Joy of Financial Planning is about the belief that we can overcome the unique economic and life challenges we face as a generation by first getting our financial house in order. In fact, we have no other choice. Now more than ever, we must grow our wealth, follow our passions, live with compassion, and find a way to achieve a personalized version of the American dream. Just as it has been in prior generations, the ideal of the American dream is being challenged, not just because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, but because of the callous murder of a fellow black man, George Floyd, that we all got to see. The example of his abuse, and that of many others, cuts through the core of the American dreams I have believed in all of my life. I have a persistent belief that all are created equal, worthy of respect, deserving of opportunity, and the ideals of the American dream live inside all of us. I thank you for supporting dreams, your dreams, by listening to this podcast. The purpose of this content is to educate listeners and for them to inform others. This episode is part of a series of recorded Zoominars from my Jason Howell Company YouTube channel. That's where you'll find the video versions. In my business life, my wealth management firm collaborates with many experts. Together, we transform regular investors into patriarchs and matriarchs of their families and their communities. This episode features some of that expertise. Please send your feedback to jason at jasonhowell.com and give this episode a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, if that's the kind of thing you do. For more about my unique brand of family wealth management, just go to jasonhowell.com. And now, expanding the business of well-being with Dr. David Miller of George Mason University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Jason Howell Company Speaker Series Zoominars. My name is Jason Howell, and as always, I'm always happy to, happy to share our network of experts, not only with our Jason Howell Company clients, but of course, with all of you, our friends, our family, our third-tier LinkedIn connections. Welcome. Glad you're here. All right. Uh, this is going to be a wonderful show. It's about the business of well-being. We've got a great guest here today, Dr. David Miller from George Mason University. As I mentioned in the bio that was shared in the newsletter, uh, he's kind of a rock star on George Mason University campus, a great guy, and we're so happy he's here with us today. So before we get into all of the Q&A, uh, let's just say hi to David as everyone starts to get settled. They'll be binging in the background. They might be babies in the background. Um, there may even be weird sounds in the background. We'll get them all together. For now, let's just say hi to David. David, how are you doing? I'm doing great today, Jason. Great to be with you and excited for the conversation. Oh, terrific. Glad you're here. Uh, and Eugene, we can hear everything in your family. So if you might mute, that would be terrific. Got it. Working Thank on you. it. 
Great. Now, we're so glad to have so many people. Again, this is our friends and family and um, a lot of folks that are connected to George Mason University. So we're glad you're here. Uh, for all of you to know, there are going to be a lot of questions about the business love well-being. I know I've had questions of it even as recent as last year. So just throw those in the chat and we'll go right ahead to your questions and skip the pre-planned questions that we had. But again, David, now how was your day? I think you had a couple of events today, didn't you? Absolutely. Uh, today was a lot of Zoom like it is for many of us. That's kind of become the norm. Um, you know, in one of the meetings we were talking about, right, what kind of extra time, I think you were at this meeting, it creates. And I want to say it actually doesn't create extra time I'm not moving anywhere. I'm not traveling. I've been sitting here. Luckily, my watch is telling me to move periodically. But of course, so it's been another one of those days that I think we've all, you know, kind of gotten used to the last 11 months. And I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. So let's all hold our breath and, and lose all the big faces for just a second. Here we are. If you came to the expanding business of well-being, you came to the right Zoominar. So welcome. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Uh, we certainly appreciate Dr. David Miller from George Mason University uh, being here today to share a little bit of his experience um, and some of the things that he's learned, not only being a part of George Mason's sort of ethos, but even uh, with his work papers before and all the work that he's been doing. So glad to have you, David. Thank you for being here. But before we get to all the Q&A and more about David, first, a word from our sponsor. All right, the Jason Howell Company is a strong family and institutional wealth management firm. We're strong because we basically base what we do on the families and the institutions whose money we manage. The world is changing. More than one third of all money invested in the United States has an environmental, social, or governance, good governance factor associated with it. I know that we're changing. You know, 2020 was just a big deal for me, for Doug, for our firms, for our families, and our family of clients. We think we've changed for the better. For more about the Jason Howell Company values and the value we bring, just go to jasonhowell.com. Okay, now the star of our show, David Miller. Uh, once again, so glad you're here. If some of you read the bio before that was in the newsletter and then maybe clicked around on LinkedIn, you saw some of what he does. Um, but I, I just love the fact that he's in two organizations seemingly at George Mason University, my alma mater, uh, the Innovation Lab, the Office of Intra Entrepreneurship and Innovation, which is terrific. We're gonna get into some of the programs that you're a part of. But if I, if I go to my notes and uh, from your LinkedIn, David, I saw your author, teacher, innovator, builder, speaker, dreamer, researcher. How do you describe yourself in maybe one or two words instead of about eight? That's great. You know, you, you went to one of my Canva images, right? I think I was yeah. messing with Canva when I made that one a few years ago. Um, you know, I think at the bottom line is um, I'm an observer and a teacher. That's it. I'm an observer and a teacher and try and make sense by observing and then share what, what I've learned. No, well, terrific. I'm glad that's the case. And people like you who are so interesting, it's nice when you write a book. And so I understand you're about to finish a book soon. Uh, I'm together, right? Yeah, Tell us very close that. to the end. Um, it's my first time writing a book that's uh, mainstream as opposed to academic type of work. Um, I'm really down to the, the grind of getting the manuscript out over to the editor by the end of this week, the next couple of days. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more about editing at this point, the content, the data has been collected. 
and we're excited to share the ideas and the thesis and it has to do with this idea of the business of well-being and its growth. No, that's terrific. I mean, last thing before we flip over to the Q&A, I, I know you, you've got about four degrees at least here. There are probably a few more in your pocket. Uh, tell us about getting a PhD in entrepreneurship. What did that mean to you? Uh, it's amazing. It, it, at a personal level, it meant a lot. I mean, it was kind of a, a lifelong dream or an adult dream, I would say. I didn't grow up wanting a PhD. I, I uh, probably realized that in college, that it was a thought. And it is funny because when I first started at George Mason, I think like a lot of people, I, I think we have a number of Mason grads on live, and I'm sure some will listen in later. You know, I came to Mason, even though it was a PhD, for the same reason that everybody else. It was flexible. It fit my lifestyle. I knew it was growing. I knew there was excellence there, even if the brand wasn't fully quite recognized yet, but I made a bet on growth. And I came in as a part-time student and was able to work on this, uh, this program. So like a lot of people, Mason had a lot to offer for me. And obviously I stuck around. I never intended, frankly, to be a PhD uh, academic. When I first joined the program, my advisor, a guy named Zoltan Och, the first time I met him, he said, what are you doing here? Like, you're not an academic. And I, he said, you don't even understand the point of this. He looked <laughs> at the wall. This was in Finley Hall for those who know the old campus in Fairfax. And he said, look, there's bricks, cinder blocks. You got to build off somebody else. You just can't come in with your own ideas. Like, I really didn't know what a PhD was. I just thought, oh, it's interesting. I like to think about things. And, and I think I've learned something in all those years, but that's really kind of how I started kind of, I used to joke, I, I was ambling towards a PhD kind of randomly and, and then got stuck at the school because the school is so amazing. Well, I mean, that, that is a testament certainly to the school, Great Mason University, as I like to call it, uh, also to you too, David. So, um, you know, thank you for being here. Thank you for suffering through what might be a PhD program and bringing all those smarts to Mason. Thanks for staying. Uh, all right, now we'll, we'll kind of get into our Q&A here. The business of well-being a topic that I think many people, probably many people who signed up to be here today, they've heard of it. They don't quite have a grasp on what that means. Um, maybe you can give us some idea here. And the first question, how does well-being fit in the world of business? So that's, that's, that's exactly where I started and where our center started when I kind of brought this question. It was, what is this? We've heard of it. Um, I, I remember I used to walk in you know, Walgreens or Rite Aid, and it always say wellness. I mean, what is that? Like, I get it, and they're selling it, and we all want it. And what is it? And I knew, you know, I, I was doing this research on Peloton, and our students were coming in with plant-based diet firms, and they were working in the space. So that's partly, I was just looking at was go, what was going on. And, and always yeah. under this, this idea of well-being or wellness. Um, so then, we are fortunate that at Mason, we have something called the Center for the Advancement of Wellbeing. And so I said, okay, I'm just gonna look at what they have to say. And they had a really clean definition. And they say well-being is building a life of vitality, purpose, resilience, and engagement. And I'll and this is their definition. I'll say it again. Yeah, vitality, purpose, resilience and engagement. And I just started thinking about it. I'm sure a lot of your, you know, people listening can think about it. I thought that that makes sense. I'm vital. I have a reason for being, I'm engaged. And if something goes wrong, I'm resilient and can move. And then we thought, but for business, what does that mean? Exactly to your question. Like what is, that doesn't help. And so then we looked at 
where these notions of well-being and wellness were popping up and what customers were saying, why they were engaging with companies and institutions. Because we always start from the customer is correct. If they think something's X, then it's X because they're paying for it. They're buying it. They believe it's the value they place on it. So we just started looking at what are these companies and what are they doing? And other people have researched these areas of well-being. So we put them together. We landed on six. There's emotional and spiritual. There's occupational. There's financial. There's physical, which I think most people think about, you know, their weight. Are they sleeping well? Are they eating well? Do they get enough steps? Um, there's also place-based, which is really important. Does, does it feed me? Do I have nice lighting? Do I have somewhere to go for a walk? Um, so we ended up with six areas in there. Social, do I have a community? Um, do I at work, at home, wherever? And so we started looking at what are the businesses that hit those? And we started putting them together and there's a lot of big national ones. So that's how we, we kind of got into this idea, this notion of the business of well-being. Got it, got it. And you said like you, you sort of put them together. So you're talking about a portfolio. We think so. Well, we've looked at the public stocks. You know, we've okay. tried to look at how it plays out in the public markets. There's a lot of local, you know, you can see small businesses and independent firms. And then, right, we started looking at, you know, how can we study them? We got a, a small grant on this to support well-being teams on campus, but also to study how it plays out in the broader economy. And part of that was looking at the equities markets and trying to understand and, and categorize and create buckets, if you will. Now, I think this is something you allude to a lot in your book coming out, right? The sweating, what was the sweating again? It so was the sweating. title is, is Sweating Together. Sweating Together. Where, Tell us about um, some of this, because I think it's in your upcoming book. Absolutely, it is upcoming. And, and so it's interesting because the Peloton bike, it's a, it's a company that produces exercise equipment, it's connected, it streams classes. It was brought into my home. I didn't purchase it. I had no interest in it. Um, I had never done what's called indoor cycling or boutique fitness. And it arrived in my home and I just kind of looked at it and was not happy with it and the price point and all these things. Right. Eventually I tried it. Um, winter boredom set in, I got on this thing and it was interesting and I liked it and I sweat a lot. And I thought that's okay, it's a good workout. I get it, maybe. But then the interesting thing was my wife who had purchased the bike said, look at the Facebook page. And this is back in 2017. Okay. Peloton was a private company at this point. Um, this was in February of 2017. I have screenshots. My first ride was in 2016. And I looked on the Facebook page, which was composed of these members. And I, I was barely a member. I'd done 10 rides or five rides. And and I saw things I couldn't believe, people sharing with each other, taking pictures. And that's where when you lay it with well-being, I realized, oh, they're doing physical well-being, which is just the workout. But then somehow there's this whole Facebook part of it. And people are social well-being is coming up. They're talking to each other. They're connecting off of the bike. Right now they're on their computers or their phones and they're connecting. And so I thought that was intriguing as a professor. I, I said... And some of the statements they made were, were just amazing. One that you know, is in the book and was one of the ones that caught my eye. It was a, a member from Minnesota. And she said, I'm turning 40 and I'm going to New York to ride live in the studio where they film the classes and I can't wait. And then she said, and I've never been to New York. And I don't know this person, I'm just reading it on Facebook. And I, I thought she's never been to New York, she's 40. Yeah. She's from Minneapolis, which is not a small town. No. 
and a bike is getting her to New York. I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. I mean, I really was kind of like, this is strange to me. Which for, for all of so, our listeners who love New York, that's, is that place-based well-being at that point? Well, it's place-based <laughs> for sure. And it does get into, you know, location and where companies locate and, and what the environment is there and where their talent pools are. And I realized though, you know, there was some connection, even though it was digital, she wanted a physical, she wanted to be in New York physically with these people. And what I started to learn over time was that there were all these physical connections taking place and that the community growing behind with Peloton was actually as big of a value for the customers as was the bike and the workout. And wow. when I started looking at Peloton and I have screenshots, it was 26,000 people on the Facebook page, under 100,000 members, connected members on the bikes. That was a little over four years ago. It was February 19th, 2017. Wow. Four years later, they have over 400,000 on the Facebook page from 26,000. That was the exact. And now they have over 1.3 connected devices with three or 4 million members riding, running, they have a treadmill. And a lot of it, I argue in the book, is this community well-being, the social. That's why it's sweating together. Even though we're all distant and sitting at home, somehow a connection has been built. Yes, and that's got, in reality all, yeah. why I've been and still am fascinated with that firm in particular is because it was providing well-being to people, which is sadly lacking. And it's been exposed, as you mentioned earlier on during COVID, but this goes back loneliness, obesity, financial challenges, which were exposed in COVID for a lot of people. And so I was already struck years ago that in a world where social media was so negative, Peloton had this thing growing that was so positive. So that's again, what brought me there four years ago to look at this. And then what happened was within a year, I was into it. I was sold, I was a member, I was traveling. I was literally that woman from Minnesota. I was going to New York on the Jitney bus and you know, getting off in Penn Station and walking to the studio and sweating with these people that I had met online. And it hasn't stopped and I've only learned more. And again, the big thing is that to me as an academic is that it's not just that they're spectacular, it's that we need more firms and organizations that can do this, that bring well-being as a core part of their business. And there are others. You know, For me, that was one example, but that's where this other work comes in and these other parts, because Peloton doesn't hit financial well-being. They can't, that's, that's currently not in their, <laughs> their yeah. pocket. There's <laughs> other firms that do that. You know, We can get, you know, is that what Robinhood does? I don't know. You know, they, these are a lot of the questions, though, and, and and I think companies are going to have to answer to the customers as they want more of this. Well, well, that that was um, that was really a great example of all three kinds, right? Or and maybe more place and social and physical. We've got a question from the chat here. I'm going to read it yeah. out loud. How does the business of well-being approach interface with the empathic leadership concept when you are a team leader interacting with your colleagues? It's a great, it's a great question, Robert. Thank you. Um, you know, the, we were on a call earlier that was a book club and uh, we were reading a book uh, by Brené Brown and it's all about yeah. leadership. And we were saying how, you know, the reason we chose it was because of how important leadership is. I'm not that familiar with empathetic leadership in theory, but I get what you're saying. And that's part of right occupational well-being. 
Um, so I think for the leader side of it, it's looking and making sure their organizations, their leadership style, right, is making sure their chargers, their colleagues, that the organization is supporting their well-being. Are they getting training? Are they getting flex time? I mean, that seems to be what's going on a lot in occupational well-being that is going to fall on the leaders in a lot of cases. Um, Peloton, from the book, from my interview with the CEO, they, they argue, he told me directly, that he, his goal is to build the best place in the world to work. And so, you know, they, they seem to have a lot of um, policies they're trying to put into place, um, celebrating, they do a, a great job of celebrating diversity. They were doing that before the summer. You mentioned George Floyd. Sure. Um, before George Floyd, this is in my book. Um, unfortunately, there was another killing by a guy named, uh, a young man named Ahmad Arbery who was running in Georgia. And one of the Peloton instructors brought it up and, and on his Instagram feed and uh, said, I'm gonna run for this guy in this guy's honor and told the story. This was, um, it was on May 8th. Um, I think that's when it was, which was his birthday. That's when the run was. And we, um, and so that was a perfect example of where Peloton allows its talent to be themselves. If they wanna bring something. And so I ran that run. My wife ran it on our treadmill in the basement. I ran it outside. There were over a thousand people running it, but that's where an organization is allowing its talent to be who they are and share the things they value and think are important. And since the George Floyd killing, Peloton's committed $100 million. And I don't know if that answers the question exactly, but it's the case I'm familiar with where they seem to be really listening to their employees. And yeah. you know, they're still a young company, so we'll see how it plays out long-term. Yeah, leadership tends to be the answer um, in general. You, you have to sort of stand up. And, and for those of you, you may have heard that name, Ahmaud Aubrey. He was the gentleman that was just running and, uh, and got attacked and chased by three people. Um, and I have a, one of our clients, actually, I saw on Facebook the other day, did a run in his honor. Yeah. So, um, it, it so we did it and we did it. I did it again. It was on 223, which was, I believe, the day of the actual. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 223. And, that would be. And it's just, a week to ago. me, it's fascinating. And again, it's not just Peloton, it's that an organization can allow its employees, its talent, right? Because they have behind the camera to be who they are, share who they are. And put it on the platform. And, and so when I did it this year, there were another thousand people from Peloton I, I could see doing it. Um, and now I have a feeling for me, it becomes an annual thing because this young instructor, who's a young guy, he's maybe 30, brought it to my attention because he's got an employer that allows him to do that. So it's Jason's point, it's the leadership there in yeah. that case. Tell us a little bit, uh, David, about your work at George Mason and how it aligns with your interests in, in well-being, in entrepreneurship, and just you being a guy that never intended to be an academic. So great, a lot, a lot there. So with Mason, as I mentioned briefly, a lot of this came from observing students and seeing what they were bringing to us. We run a lot of programs where our number one goal is what we call experiential education. So traditionally, higher ed's been about what they call butts and seats. So anyone who's got, earned a degree knows they measure your hours. And those hours are really related to how long you've been sitting in the chair. And I guess now it's how long you've been sitting in front of a Zoom or whatever. And but, but a lot of us knew, right, like anything in life, the best way to learn is to do. And so we were lucky that we had some supporters who wanted us to build a center centered around experiential, hands-on learning. So one of the things was to support students and alumni who have ideas. And this is where 
they started bringing us these ideas. Um, we had a woman doing plant-based consulting. Um, we had a lot of people doing dating and relationships. And so that's partly how this came to our attention. We started visiting farms, a lot of the place-based, you know, does, and, and it came up in COVID, you know, does your region support its own food system? Is it healthy local food? Does it have to travel very far to get to you? And so we've been doing farm visits for a few years. Um, and again, it's, it's why universities are so innovative. There's people full of energy there who are looking for new things and discovering new things. So that's what pushed us into this. Um, I'll give you an example of a program that we do um, and it's coming up in April. I think you're gonna participate, but we're having the Business of Wellbeing Week. And one of the events is around place-based well-being and physical well-being. And that's an event we've been running, I think, for seven or eight semesters, which is a plant-based taste test. So if you've heard of Impossible Foods or Beyond Meat, yep. these are substitutes for traditional proteins, cows, pigs, chickens. And so as much as we've been going to local farms, we've also been looking at the science side of it and trying to understand. So we've been running a taste test, Impossible versus Beyond Meat. Those are the two leading brands right now. Sure. And it's been interesting because when we started this, you had to buy Impossible. I think I'm gonna get it right. You had to buy Beyond Meat, I'm sorry, at a store and cook it yourself. So we had in our center in Enterprise Hall, for those who are familiar with academic buildings at Mason, we had a George Foreman grill and we, we cooked them up. And then the other, we were able to buy um, at a local restaurant, um, Glory Days had them. I think it was, um, they were cooking. Fast forward three years, we were doing head-to-head -head breakfast sandwiches last semester, which was Dunkin' versus Starbucks. So the markets evolved as we've been programming with this. And the, the, hopefully for the next one in April, we'll have Taco Bell is apparently uh, in the business. McDonald's isn't there yet. So we've been able to, again, connect the interests of our students, connect the economy. And then we always talk about why this is going on. Why do people want meat substitutes? And it is well-being. You know, there's the health side. There's, there's an argument um, that it is healthier for you. And there's a lot of studies um, on that. There's also people care about the animal side of it and the animal welfare, that they don't like the way industrial farming works or, or any farming, but industrial, I think in particular is a lot of the reason people are, are against that. And then there's the environmental impact of you know, emissions and waste that comes from protein business. So those are all related to different types of well-being. And so that's how we program all these things together, we hope. Um, and we will make sure the links are available uh, through everyone here to, to engage with us on that week in April and come out and taste, come out and taste some of these plant-based products and, and see what it's like and, and try and understand. We always say take a bite into the future a little bit on that one. And that's one example of how, how these things play together. Yeah, you're, you're the first uh, speaker we've had that offered food. So, um, so that's a win in your column for sure, David. Um, well, I guess you told us a little bit about the Business of Wellbeing Initiative. Um, tell us about Build Back, Dream Forward, and I understand the title is changing, another program on Mason's campus. Absolutely. And the, the name of the program is changing, um, and luckily it's, it's just launching, so um, it's, not a big, it's not a big deal. This isn't uh, a major change, but that's a, a, an interesting program that uh, came up recently, and, and like a lot of these things, was driven by regional and societal issues coming out of COVID. 
Um, we've been fortunate to work for a number of years with an organization called the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia. Love that organization. Uh, had Eileen, the uh, executive director here on the show a few weeks back or a few months back. Yeah, so right. Eileen's a superstar. People go watch that episode and listen to her and go sign, listen to their all their events they run are amazing. And you learn so much about the region. Um, but one of the things you learn about our region, which we love here in, in DC, Northern Virginia, um, if, you know, if you're listening elsewhere is, you know, we've, we were innovative and we've grown and we've created so much wealth. The problem is the wealth has not reached everybody. And that's not uncommon. I mean, right, there's, you have a bifurcated economy um, and it's been exposed like it has in a lot of places with COVID further for the challenges. So CF Nova came to us and said, you know, you've always been good with innovation and helping people create and grow. And we wanna help businesses that have been hurt. Can, can you come up with something? And it's what we do, right? We're a public university. Um, we have, that's one of the missions of our center is help to grow the regional ecosystem here in the DMV. And that's, it's gotta be inclusive. It's gotta be accessible. That's what Mason does. So we thought about these challenges. We thought about what was going on, the stresses on retail, the stresses on food businesses, small businesses shutting because they physically weren't allowed to open and they didn't have the capital that maybe the larger firms have to do curbside and delivery and switch their kitchens and switch their menus, right? It was no big deal for McDonald's to shut down breakfast. That's easy. All day breakfast for a small firm, menu changes are not easy. So we took all these challenges and said, let's put together a program that helps underserved small business owners in the food and beverage space locally. But the big interesting thing was that CF Nova said to us, we don't just want them to survive, we want them to grow out of this. We're looking for you to help people who wanna grow. And so that's was the, 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 almost the differentiator, I think, from a lot of the policies you're seeing. So we want, and we're looking for more candidates in those spaces, who not just want to get through it, but want to look at the change in food distribution, want to look at the change in what people want to eat, local or healthy or green, or whatever the metrics are, and they want to grow into that. They want to look at this as an opportunity. So it's an amazing program. It's open to anybody from an underserved community, and we've got some definitions, but that means people who have traditionally been left out in a variety of ways. And what we're going to do is try and help them come up with new strategies for growth some things that are a little more maybe academic and MBA strategy type, and some that are just hands-on working with local, you know, bankers and real estate agents to save them cash, right? Because it's real business. These aren't student businesses. These are operating businesses where cash flows matter, right? Margins matter, word of mouth, positive. All, we're going to, it'll be a balanced thing. And, and that's the goal of that program. And we've already, you know, talked to some applicants. We've talked to a number of different regional players who want to help support this um, because, you know, you, you need to make sure your whole economy is growing. Otherwise, right, when you run into these, these challenges like COVID, you see deep fracturing. And while yeah. a lot of us have been home doing okay the last 11 months, a lot of us haven't. And that's yeah. our job as Mason and CF Nova's charge. So we're excited about that program. Two great organizations, George Mason University and the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia. Um, love both of those organizations. I love Eileen Ellsworth and our new president, um, George, it's not George Washington, is it? Gregory Washington. I always think George Washington. Um, so do I. It's, uh, it's, yep. She's going to have to start calling him George. I mean, our, our, you know, our mascot is George. It's very difficult. Um, a couple of questions, um, and, and we probably need to be 
watching time a little bit. So we'll go lightning round on these. There is a question on Peloton. Um, did the Peloton community react differently to the controversial uh, Christmas commercial? If so, are there takeaways about how important the social and community ecosystem is with Peloton's business mission? A couple minutes there, and then um, we're going to go to the next question we have here. Great. So thank you, Brian. Uh, great to see you. Brian's amazing grad. Uh, brilliant, right. economist no the, brilliant economist in the DMV here. Um, yeah, they, they absolutely did react differently. For those who don't know, I think it was December 2019. Peloton, was it 2019? It was 2019, right? This last year is kind of, they ran an ad that I thought was kind of like a Lexus ad where it, it showed um, I guess a husband give it, gifting a Peloton to his wife with a bow. And then she reflected on her whole year on the Peloton with selfie videos. And, and I guess they thought she, it was, um, you know, misogynistic and was all about women and weight and, and right. They got negative reaction. They lost about 1.5 billion in market cap. If you oh, look wow. at that side of it in, a, in yeah. the short term, everybody jumped on it. This is in my book, um, New York times, everybody was on it. And, and there were some interesting things about it. And one was that taking pictures, posting selfies is what tons of Peloton members do. So it was actually a real representation of what might happen if you decide to become a member and join this, this group. A lot of people do that. So that was kind of interesting. And then I think for any business, um, and I'm not a stock market sage, but it's like at the end of the day, the noise is the noise and the numbers are the numbers. And so they earned their way through that. I mean, Christmas is always a good season for them. So I think by the spring, it was kind of forgotten. Um, and it is kind of a, a fun footnote and you can find it online. Um, the, the actress became a little bit famous. Um, Monica Ruiz, the fact that I even remember her name, she was on the Today Show. Um, she got picked up by this actor, Ryan Reynolds, put her in a, in a commercial for his gin. This, this actor, this struggling I don't know him that well. I'm like an old academic, he's famous, right? <laughs> He paid her to do an ad for his aviator gin where it was like after she left the husband and she was drinking with her friends. So it, it was a very social media moment that we see today, you know, where there's always a tempest in a teacup. Um, but, you know, the company's recovered from that. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, what does it say about the social community? It does say, right, that, that it doesn't matter what people say because Tesla's one... Uh, Peloton's like Tesla, like a lot of these companies that just have haters right now who don't like it and don't buy it. And that's fine. There's always going to be that. And so I think to the Brian's question, the community is what kept them going regardless of the media side of it. Sure. And this is probably a good point to say that no public securities mentioned in this Zoom and are advocated by Jason Howell Company. We do financial plans and then we yes. do the rest of it. Um, this next question here, uh, the business of well-being conduct or activities seem conduct or activities seem to be a subjective choice by an individual rather than a one size fits all. Again, as a team leader, how far do you go in judging, quote unquote, the colleagues' choices? Is it a joint conversation decision or one where you as the leader have to defer to your colleague? It sounds like, again, Peloton is in here again, like Peloton set policies that were approved, quote unquote, business well-being activities, question mark? I uh, so I'll answer that last, but I think you're right. Peloton, like any organization, is kind of picking and choosing. Um, a lot of that stuff was online, though, community customer-based of what, um, what's going on. 
But it is, you know, you the, the core part of the question, and this is where, you know, my father, who was a money manager, I, I floated these ideas of the business of well-being. And he's like, what is this? This isn't real. And so that I think is what Robert's getting at. It, it's hard, you know, we're at the early stages of this. Yeah. And how do you measure, right? I mean, there are, you know, firms that do best places to work that might tell you if occupational well-being um, and, you know, in fitness, or you might, you might have numbers that you track. Um, in social and emotional, it's hard. I mean, I saw something yesterday and it was just clickbait on like CNBC, but I heard they say loneliness is the new smoking. Right. I that, that, that too. Yeah. Right. So, so it's every, I think everybody's grappling with that, Robert, like how do we measure this right now? And right, is this Zoom? Are we lonely right now? We're all together and we're talking and that, you know, but we're not really together. And I think that's the heart of, to me, Robert, how do we measure this? It's new. To me, it's new. And we're, we're trying to figure out. And it's why, you know, the old guy like my dad was like, this is hokey. Don't even, you know, talk to me about this kind of cash flows, not well-being. I don't, I don't want to. And, and so I think we are struggling and we're going to need help. And that's, that's why I think we are at the beginning of this. I think we're moving to an economy and a society where people are going to ask these questions: What does it do for me? Does it help my well-being? Even if they don't call it well-being, they're going to want to know what the impact is. Yeah, well, I, it's a good conversation to continue. Uh, there's more to life than stockholders. That we're all stakeholders, whether we are, you know, investors or not. We all want to feel better. We want to. We want to be well. Um, I'm heartened in this profession to see leaders like Larry Fink. CEO of BlackRock, one of the largest uh, mutual fund companies in the world, talking about stakeholder capitalism and, and really sort of pushing the mark. You know, sometimes we have our federal government, um, you know, giving us ideas and things to think about and push. Sometimes it's our corporate leaders. Um, sometimes it's the community. It's, it's nice when we maybe all agree on some of that stuff. It, it's nice to agree on anything uh, kind of going forward. Well, I'm going to um, ask this last question, and as I do, I'll stop the share so we can all see a different image. Um, but David, how do you encourage this concept of well-being as a member of the community, the academic community, the Fairfax community, the Northern Virginia community, uh, in this digital world, even in a post-COVID-19 world? Well, thank you. And I'll really just take what I've observed. And, and this is again, why I started that research was, it is a balance. There's there's always good, there has to be a physical component to it. Um, you know, all these firms, even the digital firms are all figuring out they have physical stores, they have physical meetups. And so I think that's, that's the thing we've even learned, you know, cause we are forced in the last 11 months, you can't be all digital. It's just not going to work. So I would say that's the simplest thing is that it's all hybrid now. Just in the, and that would be my short answer is that it, there's no such thing as all digital. As much as there's people who dreamed of this for 30 years. I mean, really, I remember the early days of the internet and we got a taste of it and it's, I don't think it's going to work. So remember the physical side, get outside, meet people when it's safe, right? Um, and, and that's my simple answer. I'm sure people on the phone, because we've all been through this for 11 months, have answers also. Remember the physical side, it's a hybrid world. Dr. David J. Miller, uh, Director of the Center of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at George Mason University, also a professor at George Mason University, also in charge of the, uh, what is it, the Innovation Lab at George Mason University. 
Uh, also in charge of just being cool at George Mason University. Thank you very much for being here, sharing some of your insight. I think we all look forward to your book. Now we have an image and we have a title. When can we get it? I will tell you Monday, but it looks like it's probably two to three months. Two to three months. Uh, so just in time for hopefully a nice reopening in the summer. Uh, Dr. Miller, have a wonderful day. And to all of you who have joined us, please do the same.